The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The word of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Beth. Well, I thought about when we were thinking about identifiers for our church. You, most of you know I would name it Christ Presbyterian Church Satco, but they didn't like that, so... Some time ago, I was in Texas visiting my family, and um, we were there enjoying getting to see my family and uh, Megan's, my wife's, and we were kind of doing a Texas tour, so to speak, through Dallas and Houston. Um, It was one afternoon, and uh, a friend of my parents had brought these rocket copters. Some of you heard of those, those little things you can like shoot them in the air and they spin down, they light up at night and they're kind of cool and brought them for our boys. Uh, and so we were in the front yard of my, actually in the front driveway of my parents and shooting those. The neighbor comes out and I'd never met him before. He was a little uh, either younger or older than me, I can't remember, but apparently we had been at the same high school and, uh, and he had kids next door and my mom introduced and it was, you know, really nice, really nice guy. And as my uh, boys kept shooting in the air, we're, I think we were gathering them up to, um, to go inside in a little bit. It was super hot, as you would expect. And <clears throat> as they were shooting them into the air, uh, I distinctly remember saying to myself, there's one really high, I'm going to catch that. So as uh, I need to describe thoroughly um, as the story, I would not want to remember, but I'm remembered. Um, I began running to catch this particular rocket copter into the street uh, with, as I've been told, high knees, you know, trying all my might, trying to show like I can, I'll, I'll catch this thing, you know. Here's this rocket copter coming down and all of the sudden, wham! I mean, as hard as you can imagine, I hit a parked car. (laughs) Now, when I say I hit a parked car, it wasn't like a, um, oh, I hit the side of it. 
I hit the front of it and I hit the front of it so hard that my wife doubled over in laughter and um, because it was so goofy looking that I hit the front, dented the car itself, my parents are like, what's wrong with this child? And the guy I just met, who I went to high school with, I guess, now has this total picture of me as when someone says, oh, have you ever met your neighbor's son? They're like, yeah, oh, the dumb guy who ran into the car. That will forever be now my reputation to this man. And um, I'll tell you, when we were coming back from that, I was trying to walk it off, you know, trying to act like, you know, it's all right. And my knee was killing me, so sore. Dent is still in the car. Parents are so kind, I don't have to pay for it. But there's a constant reminder of my thinking I am way better and cooler than I am. And y'all, this happened like week, weeks ago, okay? <laughs> so if you decide to, you know, disavow your church members, you know, because of that. Look, reputation is everything for us. We live in a city now that's increasing in reputation. We live in an environment where we want everybody to know us and not the way that we, you know, we hide the ways that we don't want them to know us. You know, even good old Taylor Swift in her reputation album, uh, her song Delicate even says this, this ain't for the best, my reputation's never been worse, so you must like me for me. You know, so many of us are here in one of two camps. We're either trying to build our name or run away from it. And this passage is such an encouraging one to us. Yes. Hello. This passage is such an encouraging one to us because it talks about the need for reputation that this church had. This city had a great reputation. In fact, and it's amazing in these letters we've been looking at, the seven churches to Revelation, that Jesus has a diagnosis of his church. He has an intimate care for what his church is, what's going on in the life of his church. He's not a distant custodian. He is an intimate surgeon who's, who's taking the scalpel to what is going on with these churches. And this one in particular is one who acts like they are alive. They have all the reputation of being this great place and yet they are dead. And Jesus wants us to see that. He wants to see us in that light. I think there's no better, like there are a few of these churches that I think would be really good for us to, to throw out for us as a church. I think this one could be a very, very, very good diagnosis possibly of a church in Nashville. A city that is exceedingly growing in name, in reputation, far more than it ever has. And even in a city where it would be easy for me as a pastor, I was even thinking this morning, what, a, what, a, what an interesting passage for me to have to preach on. As I'm supposed to preach, I want you to like the sermon, and I want you to come back. I mean, it's like all these things wrapped up in this thing. How are we supposed to see the reality of who we are? This passage is broken up in just really an easy divide. It talks about there's a reputation and a reality, 
And then we're called to remember and repent. Reputation and reality. What's the difference between those two? What does it mean that we need to remember and repent in here? Two simple things. If there's one thing the church of Sardis had, it was a reputation. It was so strong, in fact, that in the 6th century, they had a king named Croesus who was so wealthy that they had idioms that would say, oh yeah, you're as rich as Croesus. He was so wealthy, in fact, the city had no need for any outside help. And it was set up on this glorious, beautiful location, cliffs on, on many sides of it. If you remember the famous Princess Bride quote, right? The cliffs of insanity, you know, it was like that, impossible to climb. In fact, there were actually names for this. Because the city was so beautiful and set up in such a secure location that there was an idiom of impossibility, almost like, oh yeah, when pigs fly or when hell freezes over, those kind of things. It's saying, oh yeah, to capture the city of Sardis, they would say that. This city had such a glorious reputation until in the 6th century when the Persian army was wanting to attack and destroy this city, they noticed one of the guards drop his helmet over the side and scurry down to retrieve it and come back up. And then they realized these cliffs can be taken. And they came in the night in the middle. Not only that did it happen once and again in the third century BC that, that they came and attacked and they were all asleep. Why does it say wake up? Because they think they're secure. And even in the 17th century AD when there was a great earthquake they never thought the city could be destroyed and it was leveled. This is a city that has been asleep thinking that it's just fine the way it is. I've got this. Don't worry, I got this. And yet they have been attacked and taken over. And the church is feeling that. They're believing that reputation. And isn't that what reputation does? Reputation lulls us to sleep to the reality of who we really are. It's a numbing of sorts. It's a trying to get everyone around us to see us in a perfect light. It's the endless work of what we hope people think of us, right? Whether it's how you work, whether it's where you live, how you dress, how you handle your children. Look, social media isn't the evil one. It's just the outlet for our reputation. We already do it. It just was another way of really putting it out there. Building a name for ourselves is really doing this. It's putting ourselves in, in a position so that we are known only by certain elements and never known by other ones. If you go online, it is fascinating. Even if you just type in reputation, immediately what, what pops up is websites dedicated to deleting anything bad about your reputation. You can pay them monthly and they'll make sure that they keep track of your reputation. And the one thing I continue to hear about what it's like to live in this city sometimes, if you've just moved here, maybe if you've experienced this, and maybe you've lived here for a while and you're starting to feel this way, is that it is an easy place to be entertained. It is an easy place for people to maybe know who you are, but not know you well. It can be very, very, very lonely. And it is dangerous how relaxed 
the church at Sardis became because of this reputation that they had, that they were so good, that they had it together. And here's the thing, when you build that reputation, no one really knows you. There's a reality of who you are. It's just like I was saying in confession. It's just like any of those moments, you want to put your best foot forward. Because we're all scared. If somebody really knew us for this, then there's no way I'd have any reputation at all. What are we trying to build? We all have those avenues in which we want people to know us by. And we live in constant anxiety through it. Like, it is an easy one, but this article that is called Why I Quit Facebook, an excellent blog, and just a snippet of this just gives you into the window, not just Facebook itself, but all of the reality of how we see ourselves. So she said, the, ironically, the decision to destroy my carefully built up virtual image came as a result of wanting to enhance my profile. All that particular week, I'd been hungry for new quotes on my page, something to reflect the week I'd been having, something introspective. I perused a uh, a quotes website and found one attributed to Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do. I became despondent. What then was I? If my time was spent changing my profile picture on Facebook, thinking of clever stats, updates, or Facebook, checking my profile again and again, see if anybody commented, then what am I? Look, that is, again, social media is just one outlet for that. How are you building up your name and your reputation? How am I? I mean, this is one thing I sit with many of you and I talk about, and this is something I'm truly trying to, for us to understand as a church. We are, we don't exist because we want to say we're better than everybody else. And yet there are parts of me as a sinful person Of course I want to be the best preacher. Of course I want to be the best church. All that stuff. Look, if we're being honest in a city like this, everybody's saying those kind of things. But is that right? What kind of name are we building for ourselves? What kind of reputation do we have? And do we know it? Because it produces this false security. It produces a, a, a reality that's not true. And we're so afraid of, of, of a tarnished reality, of a, of, a, of a messy one. Because we live in a culture that is consistently beating us over the head of, if you have any sort of reputation like that, you could never be brought in and loved. Think about what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where you can come in because you have a tarnished reputation. Not because you're trying to build one. And yet we don't do that. Uh, my wife and I were watching uh, 30 for 30 at one point. It was, uh, and they do a lot of these. 30 for 30 are these documentary short films on athletes or events that have happened over the years. It's done by ESPN. And this one in particular was on Tanya Harding. And she made such a great comment that I appreciated. She said, can you imagine having one of these done on you where your enti- the entire documentary is on your, that one thing you did in your life that completely defines your reputation and who you are? And yet the reality is that's all of us. She has a 30 for 30 on it. We don't. And yet we have the same reality. 
That is the reality. Why is it, and I, I beg of you, and it's so easy in our church to do this, I beg of you and of me to not be a people that simply turn and, and, and act like it's all okay. It's not always, and I know it's easy for us to do that, but the reality is we're wanting to build a reputation for ourselves, for our families, for our lives, that we, we almost act as though we have no need at all. And I want to ask you a couple diagnostic questions, and some of them may really be a little prickly, because some of them may be things that we do. But I want us to think about this. Do you spend more time, and this is a big thing for us right now, more time concentrating on our identity of our Enneagram number than who we are in Jesus? Can I ask that? I'm a nine. I'm the first one to tell you, as far as what everybody else tells me. And that's actually true. I don't know exactly what I am. I'm a nine, a two, a seven, and I think I'm probably a 18 or something. I don't know. Do you put more emphasis on that? It's not that the Enneagram is bad, but how much do we put emphasis on like, oh yeah, they're a two, I'm a one, I better not talk to them. We use that, don't we? How many conversations do you walk away from? And the first thing you do is you replay that conversation. Every word, every gesture, every movement, and you think, did I handle myself okay? What are they going to think of me? And do you hang on to that all day long? Do you find yourself shaping your personality around those you hang out with in different places? So if it's over here, you're one person, and over here, you're another, and over here, you're a different? Or are you a whole person? You constantly find yourself name-dropping not only who you know, or maybe dropping what you've done, what you do, where you've been, what your kids are like, what your friends do. Do you find yourself attaching yourself to things that build up your name and build you up in ways that won't ever really give to you? See, or maybe even as the church in Sardis was doing as well, is building up yourself on things you do for God, but not real attachment. Here's an indicator that's been really stark for me as well, is how much do we have character qualities in relationship to God in that way rather than external things we do. We've got a lot of things going on. We've got a lot of Bible studies. We've got a lot of church events. Maybe you come every week. Maybe you serve. But this is saying there's a reputation of being alive but dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains because I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He's not talking about you're not doing enough. He's talking about what's really going on. Are we building the name of Christian without being Christian? How easy is that? And how does it change? It changes through, he says, waking up. 
Remember and repent. Wake up. He says it several times. Wake up, verse 2. He says it again, verse 3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come against you. Just like the, the capture of Sardis over and over, thinking they were okay. No one can climb these cliffs. No one can get to my name. Are we working so hard to build that? We don't need to wake up to the reality. I remember Governor uh, Bill Haslam spoke in a, in an event uh, some time ago, actually an event of our church, and, and he was describing, if some of you are able to go, it's called uh, Porch Night, Men's Porch Night. Anybody can, anybody can sign up. And he began talking about what it's like to do a campaign. And you know what he said? He asked a question I was fascinated by. The very first point he made, he said, you know what you do, the first thing you do when you begin a campaign? What's the first thing you do? People are shouting out, well, you pick so-and-so, or you find this, or you go here, you get... He said, you know, what you do is called opposition research. You begin to study every single thing that's out there that anybody could find that they would have against you. And you learn what the reality is about you. And everybody was kind of like, ooh, you know, you've kind of a, mm, don't want to do that. But his point was beautiful. He's like, look, you got to wake up. It's not about, here's my campaign, here's my platform, here's the name I'm going to make. It's got to be first, who are you not? What are the things about you that everybody doesn't like or wouldn't like? And we need to wake up to it. In fact, the word wake up in Greek is, is, is not just wake up once. It's actually in Greek a continual waking up. It's going back to you to say, you need to keep waking up to the fact that you are not all that. And what you really are, what is it? Do you know the reality that God is calling you to of who you really are? How do we do that? He says, remember. First, you have to remember this. He says, remember then what you received and heard. What would it be like to remember what you received and heard? Why is that so important? Here's why. Because to remember means you're looking back to the reality of what God has done. What you've received and heard. You're remembering That what the good news is, the gospel, that's what gospel means, good news, is different than reputation. I'll tell you what I mean. It's easy, and there's a a moment a few years ago when Cam Newton on ESPN, Cam Newton is the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, was being interviewed, and I thought this was fascinating. And he was giving a story about he and his brother and his father And how the two of them pulled him aside and literally made him sit down and watch video after video after video after video of himself on the sideline. And made him stand back and say, what do you see? And it says that he saw it and he looked at himself and he said he was slack-jawed with what he saw. A man standoffish, unwilling to interact with his teammates and quite immature in press situations. And he was so jarred by it that the reality of how he'd been shocked, need, he needed to change that. Now here, most of us hear that and we go, we need to see ourselves in reality. But remembering is, here's the difference. It's not seeing yourself in that light. This is the difference between the gospel and just seeing the bad things about you. Re- remembering and repenting means you see those things and you change, you turn to something different. 
Not just to be better, to build up your name and reputation. See, a reputation means you're trying to keep out all the bad news and bring in the good. It means you get, you find a, a reputation wizard that tracks it. The gospel means you are brought in in light of all the bad news. That's the good news. The good news means that every part of you in the reality of the bad news of your name, where you are tarnished in every single way, is loved and known. You see, to remember is spoken. If you look at, if you look at the Bible, that word, that language of remembering, why he says, remember what you've received and heard, that's not a new thing. It's not just at the end in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It starts actually in Genesis. Remember. Why he's saying, be remember how you're known and loved in light of the bad news. Remember the fact that God pursued you. Remember the fact that he comes in to rescue you because you have a tarnished reputation. See, that's the flip of the entire Bible. The Bible isn't about reading it and trying to build a good name for yourself. It's about someone who had a great name and made himself nothing to come to you because your name was tarnished. That is the good news. And to remember that, think about what that does to recenter you. It, 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 it changes you when someone that, with that kind of name comes in and knows the reality of your life. You are known and loved and you don't have to seek out everything else to give you a name. You already have it. Wouldn't that change the way that you approach your conversations? Wouldn't that relax your brain that continually is on a repeat of what you said, what you did? Wouldn't that slow you to think, do I really need to gear myself up to be this or to be on in this situation so people think of me in this certain light? If you remember what you've received and heard, it's not something that you go get. And most of us even do this with God where we want to stand before him and say, look at me, God, I've made a good name for you. But that's not what the gospel is about. The good news of the gospel is the fact that you've tarnished your name and you've tarnished his name. And so have I. And yet he comes to show you the reality of who you are and yet that you're known in every place there. Some of you are wanting the glory in your name and reputation. And if anyone will tell you who in this room who may even have a position of power in that place, it is so lonely if you build yourself up in that place. If people don't know you there for who you really are, not this person up front or on stage or in your work. Do, if you have children, if you have friends in this room, do they actually know you in a way that's healthy for them? To know that they're not looking up to you and saying, I need to be just like them. Because they're, you're so held up. But is there a humility enough to remember that it's not about you? You remember what you've received, the good news in light of your bad news. So that they know you. And others of you in this room may be running from the reality of your name. There may be a part of you that says, there's no way I could ever have a reputation or a name. 
And even the one I have, I don't believe that anyone could ever care for me there. Do you know what Jesus does here that's amazing? He builds a name for you through his own. I want you to see the end of this passage. Like he knows our memory and he knows our keeping is not strong enough. And so how does he end this? Listen to this. Verse five, it says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out of the book of life, his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. How do we repent? How do we remember? It's not because your memory is great. And it's not because we can turn from bad things and see a video of ourselves of how we're bad and turn and make a better reputation. It will always be tarnished if we're doing the right opposition study. It's because Jesus, the one whose name was above all names, acknowledges your name. The very thing that they want, the reputation of being alive, the name that they herald, how does Jesus diagnose them? He says, it's not through exalting your name. It's through the one who is exalted, through his name, acknowledging yours. You want your name written somewhere where it's remembered forever? Jesus says your name is written in the book of life. You know those times, and I have this, I'll just confess. You know those times when you're at a conference, you're at a, a place, you see somebody that's of, of notoriety and they may acknowledge you or acknowledge your name up front or say something and you feel a little bit of like, hmm. I was even at that meeting with Governor Haslam and I've, I've, he has been a kind man over the years. He actually said my name from up front. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And it gave me something and I was like, that's kind of cool. Somebody even mentioned that to me after. They're like, I can't believe you said your name. I was like, yeah, kind of can't either. I'll take it. How much do we and me take that acknowledgement more than this? Whose blood and body is this? This isn't Governor Haslam's. It's not mine. It's not yours. Jesus acknowledges your name before the Father. That's what gives you hope. That's the name you can remember and turn to. That's what repentance is. That is what it means to confess that. That's the name you don't have to ever worry about not measuring up to or having a reputation. It's already been met. When you taste this body and blood, it is your reality. So with that, let's stand together. And as we do, we're going to confess together.